Hi, friends. We're at the sixth episode of Heckin' Concern podcast. I can't believe I lasted six episodes. I'm so excited. Six episodes in, I realize I still haven't really told you much about myself. So here goes. My name is Amrita Nurgunkar, and I live in Melbourne. I started this podcast because I was starting to feel a little bit lonely when I thought about topics like climate change or politics and how politicians aren't really serving our needs or the economy, um, the post-MeToo world and, and dating in the post-MeToo world. So essentially, the pain of being a millennial was really bumming me out. And I thought, if I'm feeling this way, surely a whole bunch of other people are also feeling this way. So why not have conversations about this? Why not start a podcast and interview people who I think are doing particularly good work in dealing with some of these issues? Maybe they're researchers, maybe they're just people that are grappling with these issues. And I think that they found an interesting solution or an interesting way to find some hope. Uh, and then we can talk to them and share ideas, share perspectives and share ways to find hope. So that's how Heck and Concern podcast came about. Our tagline is a podcast about things that scare millennials. But it's really not just for millennials. It's for Gen Yers. It's for older people. It's for any millennial adjacent listeners. <laughs> Now, if you haven't already found us on social media, please do that because I really want to hear from you about what you think of the show. I want to hear your ideas, your feedback, suggestions for topics to cover. I want to hear what keeps you up at night and what you're heckin' concerned about. <laughs> so you can find us on Twitter at heckinconcern.com. And on Instagram at Heckin' Concerned Pod. And we're also on Facebook. So get on social media and reach out to me, chat with me, and tell me what you're feeling. On to today's episode. This is an episode about climate change. Climate change was probably the number one reason why I started this podcast because I was feeling really scared um, and really devoid of hope. When I, when I would think about climate change. Climate change is also probably the biggest issue affecting us all. Without a hospitable environment to live on, without a planet to live on, uh, clean air and water and a temperature that we can survive in, without all of these things, nothing else matters. The economy doesn't matter, politics doesn't matter, and this podcast certainly doesn't matter. So... I want to start a series of episodes on this podcast devoted to climate change. Um, I haven't figured out what I'll call it as yet, if I'll make it a separate segment called Heckin' Climate or something more boring like Perspectives on Climate Change, or maybe I won't call it anything special at all. But I certainly want to devote um, time on this podcast to look at climate change from a number of different perspectives, consider it from all of the different facets of the issue and how it affects us, and also share some ways and tips on how we can find a little bit of hope when we think about climate change, because it is a very, 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 very scary issue. 
So my guest today is Patrick Rehill. Patrick is a young environmentalist. He works for an environmental NGO, so he knows a lot about climate change. He's also studied public policy and politics, and he's very knowledgeable and passionate about these things as well. So on this episode, we ended up having a very philosophical discussion on climate change and how it affects the economy and how it affects the ordinary person. So we considered some topics like what economic growth and productivity might mean in a future world in which we're tackling climate change head on, um, what might be the greatest good of the greatest number of people and how we can align ourselves with that. So a lot of very big, meaty topics. I hope you enjoy it and I hope that you go on social media and give me some feedback. This is Amrita and you're listening to Heckin' Concerned Podcast. Welcome to Heckin' Concern Podcast, Pat. Thank you. It's very nice to be here. So when you came in here today, you mm. said that you had a bit of doom and gloom to share. Yes. Lay it on me. Um, so you may be aware that the climate is maybe going to kill us all. <gasps> no. <laughs> <laughs> um, climate change has interested me for quite a while. And it's something that I sort of think about pretty often i mean i saw a poll recently that made me realize that a lot of sort of people in our age bracket are feeling the same way yeah i think it was from wwf or a large environmental ngo um they conducted a poll saying 30 something percent of young women are considering not having children because yes. of the climate threat mm -hmm. i wanted to actually bring that up there are periods in human evolution when populations get wiped out. And it's not because, it's not just because there's famine and people are actually dying from starvation, but it's because people choose not to reproduce. People have chosen in the past. And I think something like that is happening with us as well. This generation doesn't want to have children because it's cruel to have children. Antinatalism. Antinatalism, that's right. <laughs> I was listening to this um, philosopher, I've forgotten his name, but he is he has this antinatalist position and he says that it is inherently cruel to bring any form of life into the world. I don't know if I would have agreed with that in the context of the world previously, but now it seems kind of true. Yeah. It, it's something that I... I sort of think about it a fair bit as well, like beyond the traditional antinatalist argument, um, which for, for people who aren't familiar, I, I, I think you actually filled in quite well then, um, this idea that it's sort of, that human beings have a right not to be brought into the world without their consent, which is impossible to obtain for a human being that's yet to exist. Yeah. Um, it's a bit of a... <laughs> Um, a misconception in a way or uh, oh well it, it it it's a bit of a mind bender um yeah but putting aside that sort of traditional rights-based antinatalism i think we're seeing a move towards like a, a utilitarian antinatalism 
Um, I never really studied philosophy, so maybe I'm using those terms wrong. Um, you kind of sound like you know what you're talking about. That sounds so <laughs> like utilitarian antinatalism. I mean, I, 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 know, I know those words, but I'm probably using them very, very wrong. I know that there's sort of rights-based moral philosophies and um, utilitarian mm. moral philosophies, and that's about the extent of my knowledge. Um, <laughs> now that I've been pressed on it. Um, yeah, so we're moving towards sort of a this chic new utilitarian antinatalism, which says that the world is going to get so bad during a future kid's lifetime that it's not worth, well, it's not ethical to bring them into this world. I don't know if I buy into that. I think I don't. Mm-hmm. I think there's a broader case, though, that it isn't ethical to the world to bring another life into this world that's going to be doing all that consuming and driving around mm. and air travel, etc. Um, I think that's a very interesting argument to me, at least. I don't see that they're very mutually exclusive, those arguments. It's cruel to the world because everyone's consuming resources and thus it's cruel to the individual because resources are scarcer. When we were kids. I don't know about you, but I don't know if you were just a morbid kid. (laughs) (laughs) I was. (laughs) I wasn't. I mean, I had a healthy obsession with the morbid, but by and large, I think I had a a lot more hope as a kid. Growing up in the 90s, there was still this idea that I'm going to grow up and have an amazing future. And I feel like our generation has just kind of, you know, that in cartoons, how you just walk off a cliff and then you don't realize until you're fairly off the cliff. (laughs) I think that's what's happened to us. We've grown up having this amazing idea of our future, as all people do, or not all, but most of humanity is when they're growing up. And then we realize that we've walked into this shitstorm. I feel kind of cheated that our parents didn't prepare us because they didn't know. Because there was this notion, even in the 90s, even in the 2000s, that the resources of the world are asked to take and inexhaustible, and the future can be whatever you make of it. But we didn't know that the people before us had just fucked up the future mm-hmm. so badly that now we're just dealing rather than making. Yeah, Francis Fukuyama <laughs> um, played a big prank on us. Who's that? Was, oh, um, author of... Uh, the End of History, I, I believe is the book, or at least the sort of name of the thesis he lays out there. Um, the idea was that essentially we'd gone through a lot of essentially endless conflicts by the end of the 20th century. There'd been brief periods, but there'd been sort of more years of massive cold or hot war than there had been at peace. And now sort of human history was at something of not an end point, but like a, a steady state, at least for a while, that we were in this sort of unipolar, US-dominated world. We didn't necessarily have a good sense of this massive looming environmental crisis. And, you know, we just get to sit back and enjoy ourselves for a while. And maybe the I remember the hole in the ozone layer yeah. um, was the big thing that I worried about yes. as a child, um, which was pretty much solved by that point it was i remember because uh we were taught at school that there's a you know when the the concept of global warming at school was so rudimentary there's a hole in the ozone layer 
chlorofluorocarbons are responsible for that. So ban CFCs. Which yes, they did. Which they did. And then Thank suddenly you, everyone thought, ah, oh, you know, now the CFCs are banned. Everything was about just Greenpeace and uh, save the animals and save the tigers. And so it was very tame, this mm. idea of global warming. It was nowhere close to this raging apocalypse that we now know is upon us. And so this idea that, oh, we've done something about CFCs, now we can rest, is in a way what you were talking about before. We were deceived. Mm. <laughs> So we had these massive droughts in Queensland. Cattle were dying. Farmers needed our help. And I obviously felt very bad for the suffering, human and animal. But some part of me was very angry that farmers needed our help to fund their farming businesses, cattle farming, when that was that is one of the things that is contributing to climate change. I was thinking it might be so nice to have some kind of exchange offer. Like, we'll give you money to keep your cattle alive for the promise that you phase out your farming operations by X and X time and start growing food crops instead. You know, I, I obviously felt very bad for the suffering, but I also felt very angry that uh, nobody's learning. Nobody's learning from all of the information out there. Hmm. How did you feel about those droughts and that are still going on in Australia. Yeah, um, I think I echo everything that you just said. You know, it's terrible on the people. It's t terrible on the animals. You know, we we sh should have known better. We did know better. But I don't think that we can blame the individuals all that much. No. Simply because our government hasn't done anything. Yes. On this. I, I feel like... It's very hard to expect individuals in a in our system to sort of get together and spontaneously change things without changes in the incentives that they face. And without a government changing those incentives, I think there's very little else that we can do. Mm. Something I've been thinking about a lot recently, um, watching all this... Brexit shit mm. happen. Um, this is going to come back around, I promise. <laughs> um, I've, like, I've always sort of known that if a government promises something, it might not happen. Mm. I don't want to sound like a, you know, a raging libertarian because I'm, I'm, I'm not. Um, you know, oftentimes governments just will promise something in, let's say, make an election promise and it's just not a priority when yep. it comes to governing and that never happens and i sort of knew that on the big ticket items as well the sort of really important items of the day that maybe governments might not keep their promises as well mm. but seeing the sort of sleepwalking into disaster mm. that has been this brexit process mm. has really worried me because I feel like we're seeing in that what's happening with climate. Mm. But it's really scary to me to see how a government can be so ruled by short-term thinking that something really, really important can be fucked up that badly. Mm. 
I feel like in climate, it's the same thing. We're making promises to environmentalists that we're going to cut down our emissions to not the ideal level, but, you know, a level where we could maybe muddle through. There'll still be, you know, countless additional deaths than there would have been had we limited it down. There'll still be sort of massive loss of natural heritage, but it's, you know, not as bad as it could be. But we're promising, you know, fossil fuel companies continued subsidies. Mm. We're promising... Mining conglomerates from overseas. Yeah. Access to our resources. And we're promising climate deniers in the electorate that, you know, we aren't going to let these greenies take away all our jobs and our big cars Mm. and our hamburgers. This short-term thinking of the governments is... Beyond baffling, I mean, aren't these people in government human? Aren't they also breathing the same air that we are? Aren't they also worried about clean air and water? And they also have all heard all of these doomsday scenarios about forests drying up and becoming rolling walls of fire and floods and all of these things. And yet they're not doing anything. They're just focused on all of these superficial things like jobs, like, um, you know. Yeah, it's been commented, commented on a lot before that climate change and a lot of other environmental issues um, are, you know, they're often called um, wicked problems or even super wicked problems. They're problems that for a whole variety of reasons are like kryptonite to our political psychology you know they're the worst effects are well in the future whereas we get the benefits of polluting now Mm. um we can't see the harms really well we can't you know say that any individual natural disaster was caused by climate change we Mm. can't identify very easily sort of which people are having their lives shortened by air pollution and which aren't Mm. it's a very tough issue to grapple with and i don't know what we can do about it Mm. i would say that it starts with not asking our leaders to be better Mm. but asking us as an electorate to push harder to elect better leaders yeah and that's that's challenging because i think it isn't an issue of, you know, not having 50% of the population behind strong climate action. The issue is it has to be high enough to overcome, you know, the influence of the Adanis of the world. You know, the the fossil fuel companies that ha- have a lot of influence simply due to having greater political access mm. than, the you know, the normal person. Mm. Um, I don't necessarily think it's a characterological failing in scott morrison or or frankly even bill shorten that they're not sort of pushing for hard enough climate action i think every one of us sort of every day of our lives prioritizes our own private benefit Mm. over the good of society Mm. no that's true i agree Yeah. yeah so today i bought um on those fancy Red Rock Deli, big bags of deli chips, um, cracked pepper and lime. Uh, it was $3.50. I did not need to eat that. 
Um, it was on sale though, so usually a little bit more. So I thought I was practically making money off it. <laughs> um, but that three dollars fifty that I spent on a packet of chips that I ate very quickly <laughs> in one sitting. Um, the benefit that I got from that $3.50 was so much less than it would be if I sent that money to, you know, a family in a developing country who earn less than $3.50 a day. You know, Mm. that's an extra day, two days Mm. wages to them. And yet I took that for myself because it's impossibly to impossible to mm. be entirely self or at least you know you need to be a better person than i am and i think a better person than most of us are mm. to be able to properly prioritize the good of others over the good of oneself mm. and i think you see scott morrison especially but particularly bill shorten in his sort of will he won't he relationship with adani you see that we haven't created the incentives mm. for these leaders and their parties where it's in their interest if they want to get the you know the top job which they do yeah um to jump on board with strong climate action yeah um maybe we've got 55 percent of the population there we need to work to get it to 80 percent so that you cannot win an election in this country unless you're promising to do something really strong on climate Mm. and i think that's a really tough burden for all of us to shoulder but I think the consequences are so incredible yeah. that it's one we'll have to sort of take on yeah. or at least do our best to try on. Yeah. So it seems that if top-down action is not an option or is not working in our country, then grassroots is really the way in which we can affect things yeah. and create more change. I think we're not going to get action... A, we're not going to get action that's sort of... that doesn't depend on who's in power um like ideally we want a bipartisan solution we're not going to get that Mm. without sort of a change in without significant grassroots action and we're not going to get action from either major party that goes far enough Mm. on this issue um without substantial Mm. grassroots action so i think that you know action from the top would be nice yep but action from the grassroots is incredibly important as well you know going back to what you were saying about prioritizing the benefit of the masses over oneself obviously we as people aren't designed to always think that way we're creatures and there is opportunism and there is comfort which are all of these things very important to us as creatures and it goes back to what you were saying before that we may move towards a future in which we have less comforts. Mm. So, for example, if it means that the whole world is not going to have easy access to lime and crack pepper chips, but we are convinced that it's in our interest to stop selling commercial chips because <laughs> <laughs> all of us will have cleaner waterways yeah. and oceans. It might be a step back for humanity. We'll have to start making our own chips but more of us will have clean water. I'm so sorry for introducing <laughs> that. I, I, yeah. No, it's, it's funny. It, and it, look, this is chips economics. This is hmm. actual terms that we understand economics in. So, And I think there's... So the, the sort of original set of climate, I guess, is that we in the developed world have been able to get to the best standard of living that human beings have ever enjoyed. 
by pumping a lot of carbon and other greenhouse gases into our atmosphere that are still, for the most part, there, carbon especially, still Mm -hmm. there. And we sort of owe it to the rest of the world to Mm. find a way to get them to sort of converge with our level of development Mm. while still not fucking up our entire planet. And I I think something that, you know, it's not necessarily an idea that's entirely won me over at this point, but there's some really interesting thinking about zero growth economics. Okay. um, Where you prioritize concerns about sustainability over concerns around economic growth. Mm -hmm. So you say, look, if we're going to fuck the planet up such that it's going to hurt our collective well-being as human beings to, you know, continue to pursue economic growth, at least in the developed world, we shouldn't do that. We should prioritize the happiness and well-being of our people holistically over sort of measures Mm. of economic output Mm, yeah and i i think that that makes a lot of sense there are a lot of other good models that might be less radical Mm. but i think that we we should start having those sort of radical economic conversations because either we talk about them now or we end up in a world where we can't grow anymore because it's 50 degrees outside yeah in large swaths of the world and the air is too polluted to sort of move about in a city and we've lost all the water that feeds our agriculture Mm. and we've we're being devastated by natural disasters yeah wouldn't it be nice if we had like an economic calendar you know how fields are left fallow and then they have periods when there's <laughs> actually, you know, things grow there. And you grow beans to replenish to nitrogen replenish and Exactly, nitrogen fixing. So there's zero growth economics. We could have a calendar in which we'd have, like, growth and then zero periods. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, certainly not with our current economic setup because we everything's just set up to rely on growth mm. currently. Mm. The reason that... So a recession... Um, is defined as, at least in the US, I think this is our definition here, um, two quarters of negative growth Mm -hmm. successively. The amount of negative growth that that is is usually tiny. Mm. Um, You know, it's, let's say, a percentage point drop. Um, That leads to dramatic increases in unemployment. Why is that? Well, it's because we, as a society, have sort of set up an economic system that relies on growth Mm. Um, and largely that growth benefits sort of the top end of town Mm. i think that climate gives us an opportunity to have a conversation about about whether or not that sort of a setup is beneficial Mm. and whether rather than having a model that needs to be fed with growth constantly we should have some sort of stable model that maybe grows in line with population growth It doesn't necessarily pursue growth over that, at least not while it continues to threaten our natural heritage. Yeah, it's really fascinating. And by the way, that (laughs) that sort of zero growth future may eventually end up, or something close to it may eventually come about regardless of whether we take action or not, regardless Mm. of whether or not what happens with climate anyway. Mm. Um, Because in the developed world, we're seeing sort of slower and slower rates of growth mm. worldwide productivity growth is like we we see sort of increases and decreases 
but has broadly gone down mm. from where it used to be. Mm. And so we're not we're not sure that we're ever going to get back to the rates of economic growth that we as developed countries sort of experienced during the real boom times of the 20th century. So maybe we're headed to a near zero growth economy anyway. Yeah. And we'll have to have these conversations Hmm. regardless of environmental issues. And maybe we need our leaders, maybe we need the ideology to change to phrase these things more positively as more desirable periods rather than like calling it a recession Hmm. and painting it negatively. I mean, it is hugely negative, though, under the status quo, just because we we assume growth will continue. And because of that, Mm. we're economically, you know, there's a real economic fragility Mm. when you don't have growth in place anymore. I think if you retooled the economy around the assumption that we wouldn't be growing as quickly or that we sort of wouldn't be growing in per capita terms at all, Mm. suddenly, if you don't have reliable growth, you, you don't see a spike in unemployment and sort of general immiseration and economic anxiety like you do in when there's a recession mm. in sort of a growth-based economy. So when I spoke to you some time ago and I said, uh, when I was asking you if you wanted to be on this podcast and then i said so tell me pat do you have hope uh in in the context of uh global warming and the uh climate change and you say yes i have hope so can you tell me about that what sort of hope do you have what do you mean when you say yes i have hope i i'm very worried (laughs) Mm -hmm. and i also don't think that it's going to be the end of humanity Mm. as we know it I think that there are some very there are some positive signs there um, in terms of um, sort of innovations that are going to help us address climate change happening at a much faster pace than we thought they would. Mm. Um, you've probably seen those fantastic graphs about the sort of drop in the price of solar yes. per unit, mm. um, which is really fascinating. You know, I think that we haven't managed to roll those technologies out to the extent that we've sort of decoupled mm. economic growth from emissions yet. But I think that maybe we will in the future. And I think that I think that the thing that really gives me hope is that things seem to be changing in at least a small way around climate. I think we're seeing younger people become more and more politically active and they care more and more about climate i shouldn't sort of just say that it's just younger people um because there are a lot of people of all generations who care really deeply about this um on the 15th of march we had the school students protest that was amazing yeah when we were kids we didn't know what was in store for us but these children (laughs) know they're preparing themselves from such a young age yeah yeah and we're seeing you know maybe in australia less but there's some sort of there are interesting conversations happening in the US around the Green New Deal there. Um, the Sunrise Movement in the US is doing fantastic work making that a thing. I think that we're, you know, the, the Labour Party in Australia has moved to the left of where they were on these sorts of issues. 
Um, but I think it's a really good sign that they're not backing away from climate action when, you know, it's commonly conventional wisdom is that Rudd-Gillard government's action on climate change really hurt their popularity. Mm. Um, I, th- I think that sort of gives me a little bit of hope. Mm. And I think that, look, we're, we're sort of just getting started mm. on this issue. I think we should have gotten started a long time ago. If we started addressing this issue earlier, the cost mm. of doing something would be substantially lower and the end warming that we'll end up with would have been lower as well. Mm. But I'm really inspired when I see you know, those kids protesting for climate action. I'm really inspired to see... People, um, people with stoppadani earrings and bumper stickers. Mm. I feel like as sort of the situation continues to get more dire, we're going to see more and more reasons for hope mm. in the sort of great leaders that the climate movement provides us with, and in the sort of tremendous action mm. that I'm very confident people are going to mobilise to take. Here, here. So, do you have any suggestions for listeners to donate to organize, like suggestions for organizations that listeners can donate to? Yeah, um, I'm a little bit into um, effective altruism. Um, the go go look it up. I I'll, I won't do it justice here. Um, this sort of first generation of charities that effective altruism people have tended to support have been like directly providing services to people and there's a case to be made that actually advocacy while it's harder to establish the marginal benefit of a dollar spent on advocacy will have a greater effect than Mm. buying mosquito nets Mm. with with those dollars Um, I sort of try and donate a chunk of what I make to organizations that are taking on animal suffering while mm. also taking on climate um, because if you re- you know reduce the amount number of animals farmed particularly cattle farmed mm. um, you are reducing the amount of methane that's emitted into mm. the atmosphere along with sort of other marginal emissions that come from farming mm. so so I think that I, I don't want to sort of recommend an individual organization Mm. but i'd say go do some reading about Mm. what effective altruists are saying see what which arguments appeal to you see which areas of interest that effective altruists have Mm. um are appealing and which you think are going to have the greatest positive effect um so find those issues that you think you can do the most good in Mm. um find the organizations that we we think are doing the best work in those areas and support them. Mm. I actually do have an organization that I would recommend people look into and support them either with donations or by signing up to become a, a, like an educator. It is Climate for Change. That is working in advocacy, but also just education. Education of people of all ages in your home environment, in a in your comfort zone. You know, I think it's very important that we get talking to everybody about this. So... Go and look up Climate for Change. Thank you so much for being on my podcast. It was amazing to have you on here. 
this discussion was riveting and scary, but important and useful. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. It's oh, it's been yeah, it, it's been a lovely conversation. And let's hope that we're all not burnt to a crisp in the next <laughs> 30, 40 years. There. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed that we'll actually die and be long dead before. Uh, maybe not things. that. Maybe the, maybe just that none of those bad things happen. <laughs> okay. All right. Maybe I can hope that none of those bad things happen. But okay, they're going to happen. Like some of it is going to happen. Sure. <laughs> yes. Um, but you know, who knows how that affects human mm. standards of living. Yeah. Um, if, if we really limit those harms and... Yeah, I, I think that human life is still going to be worth living. And I think that whatever form the future takes, we'll make it work. And it'll be all right in some way or the other. It'll mm. be all right. But panic until then and take action. <laughs> yes, please panic and take action. But then also sit back and think about ways in which uh, you can find some hope. Yeah, act, <laughs> but um, Hopefully. care for yourself. Care for yourself, yes. All right. Thank you. Thank you very much. Hey, 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 hey.